Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and the Abomination of Hell, Nick Protopapis. Hey. Uh, so also with us today uh, is our resident Hellboy expert, uh, Bennett Hazel. Hey, that's me. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Uh, so we've brought you in today uh, because we're talking about the first volume of Hellboy later on in the show. Uh, but first, you know, how are you guys? Uh, I'm good. You know, uh lots of lots of work right now lots of lots of schoolwork it always mm-hmm. seems like more work when you're uh not actually going to class and it's just like an endless stretch of time within which you have to be doing four papers oh wow uh, i really sympathize <laughs> uh, not me i have the opposite problem no work task that sounds great i love tasks <laughs> chores are are like a blessing i get a chore i get like a little giddy inside i'm like oh boy that's gonna occupy so much time mm-hmm. i'm currently pulling a trick that I've, I've never pulled before uh which is that i i uh i didn't do an assignment uh and i am going to wait until the teacher notices um and then i will tell them that i forgot to submit it Oh, that's an old, an old one, but a good one. Yeah, and I think I can pull it off because I've never, I've never missed an assignment in this class before. Oh. So, Joe, you did the thing that all the dumb kids wish they did. Like, <laughs> like, be very good, good student for like a, a one month, two months, and then like have that be the the trust, so that later on you can slack off. Mm-hmm. I'm opting to submit a bunch of stuff at the end of the semester with apologies. Mm, that's the Nick Rodopapis trick. <laughs> that is what I do. Yeah, I do nothing, and then I do it all at once. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I can't spread work out well. I'm not good at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then it feels like I, I got to do it every day. Every day, it beats me down a little more. Uh, Nick, you've got a thing for me. Have I got a thing for you? Yes, I do. Uh, this this time it's a book because uh, you know I got a lot of time on my hands, so I read a book. You know how it is. Um, this is a, a Japanese book, and the cover that I have is just like explosions of like colorful little clouds. It's very abstract, and it's called The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, and it's by Haruki Murakami. And so instantly it's like, oh, this is weird. But I did buy it. I ended up buying it at the bookstore, which I almost never do, because there was a cute lady who told me that it was good. And so I trusted <laughs> her, and I spent 20 bucks on it. Um and it turns out it wasn't it wasn't exactly a mistake. I thought that it was going to be a mistake. It wasn't in the end. Um, I think actually, Joe, you would like this book a lot. Um, and there's there's a certain like every three people I know I think would really enjoy this, but not everyone. It's 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 very strange. I guess it's I think the genre is weird fiction. If that's is that a genre? Oh yeah, that sounds really weird sure. fiction. <laughs> yeah, it's like. The thing about this book, it starts off so normal, and it's, like, written in kind of a normal way. Like, this book opens, and the guy's cooking spaghetti. It's like, I was in the middle of cooking spaghetti when I got a strange phone call. Um, and, like, this whole dynamic in the first ten pages is just like, man, like, I wish that this person would leave me alone so I could eat this spaghetti. Um, and it's, like, very average like that, and he's got a wife, and he's unemployed currently, and he sort of, what he does all day is he, you know, lounges around and reads books, and he looks for his lost cat. And then slowly, so slowly, in fact, that you actually don't notice it happening. It like, it delves into this weird like dream world. There's like a dream world that exists 
and like he starts having sex in the dream world and then later he finds out that was like sort of real or like it was a shared dream um and things like that and then like some people are psychic and they sort of throw that in there um and usually in like anything else i've ever read or seen it's like like there's a moment where it's like oh magic is happening whereas in this one like i didn't even know like i had like at the end of the book i realized that like he was having a dream fight with someone and i was like my heart was racing and i was like wait a moment like when when did this book become like this um, <laughs> it's it's really good at like weaving that stuff in um and mm. it's a really engaging like as a writing style like it's it's very simple and something's always happening even when it's just like his thoughts um and what happens a little bit later in the book is that his wife disappears um and that's sort of a whole other layer of mystery and there's some you know, there's some question about her past and how much he really knows about her, that sort of thing. And she has a, a brother who's like a famous politician, but like also kind of weird, like weird in a maybe like mystical way. Strange things are happening. A lot of the characters act like, uh, like Wes Anderson, you know, like characters where they're, they don't exactly feel real. You know what I'm talking about? Like that sort of dialogue. Yeah. Right, that sort of exaggerated reality. Right, right. Um, so there's some people like that, but he feels very normal. He seems to recognize that they're weird. But then you also, you only hang out with weird people. Um, so it's, I mean, reading it is like super fun. Um, and like, it also has these like tangents every once in a while where um, like one character like fought in World War, not World War, well, sort of World War II. Anyways, in Japanese is, um, you know, attack on, on China beforehand, a little bit beforehand when they sort of took over Manchuria, you know what I'm talking about? Um Yeah. And yeah. go, there's like multiple like deep dives into the, like that story where it's just like very realistic and very gruesome and that happens and that's also engaging and you're like where where like it's just it's a it's a wild ride and that's the reason i'm sort of talking about it here and recommending it for sure um because it's very unique in that way and up until you know close to the very end this was probably one of my favorite books i ever read just as like as the process of reading um it's a little long and a lot of the enjoyment comes from like the mystery that's building up throughout it, as well as like the added layer of, you know, mysticism, you know, coming through it. Um, where this book sort of falls apart for me, so just a fair warning, I wish someone had told me, um, is that a lot of that mystery stuff just doesn't pay off, which is just feels so, so lazy. Um, some of it does, and some of it, I'm sure that if I read it again and was a smarter person, I could put together. <laughs> um, and that's why I'm sort of excited to reread this in like maybe a few years or something. Um, but I haven't done that yet, obviously. So like when you get to the end of it, you're just like, whoa, like a lot is still unexplained. Like what is going on? Um, and it, it sort of, it, it still feels like that weird flavor from earlier, except the weird flavor earlier is like, oh, I, I wonder how they're going to explain that. And then at the end, it's just sort of like, oh, weird. Um, but yeah, it's got some great like side characters. They all have funny names and like really interesting backstories. And I think, I think the best thing about this book, aside from sort of anything I've said already, uh, and the last thing I'll mention, is that it has some very interesting ideas about uh, like a person and how they occupy their time, like any given person, and not just how they occupy their time, but how they enjoy things. And I, I'm not really sure exactly what this book's trying to say with that stuff, but like there's a character in this book who like for a point in her life only felt pain. And that was like a, like a big tangent she wish she went on. And then the, the guy from, you know, in the war that's telling his story spends a lot of time like in deep suffering. And then that, like, there's a lot of characters who 
suffer a lot and then like grow from that. It's, it's sort of difficult to explain and I'm not actually sure exactly because I haven't thought about it enough probably, but it's definitely interesting just to like get a view on someone feeling something so entirely different from probably anything you felt or I felt, um, especially in those more mystical ways, like a girl who constantly feels pain. Like that's insane to me. Like I just like, she describes it well. So that's cool. Anyways, it's a good book. Um, and I think with that fair warning, it will be more enjoyable. As we were. Yeah. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I'd like to check it out. So uh, my thing this week is um, the fire never goes out, which is a memoir in pictures by Noel Stevenson. Uh, as this says on the tin, uh, it's a memoir by Noel Stevenson. Uh, who I think uh, at least Nick would recognize as the creator of Nimona. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh, I like her work. I I haven't actually seen a lot of it. I just follow her on Twitter, uh, and so that she mm. she posts. Yeah, uh, Nimona's great. Um, I haven't seen any of like her animation work. I know she's like the director of the new Shira show. Yeah, yeah, uh, but she's done a bunch of cool stuff. Um, and so this is sort of like a, a review of the last like about 10 years or so of her life um and it tells stories about each year uh mainly in comic strip form but there's also a lot of uh sort of prose or essay uh there's there's some photographs thrown in um so we started about her first year of college and progress to roughly the modern day um and that sort of amounts to tracking stevenson's progression as like both a person and an artist um it talks about mental health issues dating like her process of like figuring out her sexuality uh there's a section about body image um so like what's what's interesting about it to me is that it, it in some ways starts off really heavy talking about um depression and her relationship to uh christianity um but then the book is just as often like goofy and funny uh as it is like dour and introspective uh and i think that is for this a tonal construction that really works um, because it's trying to represent her life uh, in a way that I think is a little more full and uh, a little less narrativized um, in a way. Because I, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think a lot of the the things that the book is drawing from were, were uh, pieces uh, that she previously made. Um, and they're not original to the book. I could be wrong. Um, so in that way, it sort of works like a, a cool little journal. Um the strips that like form up the the narrative sections like they're they're not stylistically uniform uh and they're not uh strictly linear i think but they do gel together there's uh i think some really cool perspectives on her life like i'm not usually a memoir person but i found it pretty gripping uh yeah i think it's a pretty cool book nice sounds a little like a slice of life strips with like some like real talk in the middle uh yeah mostly yeah cool um there's a cool part of it where um because like a chunk of the book is um i I guess these uh these blog posts that she wrote uh at the end of each year um there's a part of that where she's like oh no uh these blog posts i've been writing i've been trying to project a version of myself as like a person and an artist that isn't entirely authentic and is more uh just sort of the image i want um 
and part of that is like manufactured reality, um, which I think I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. Noelle and her wife are currently fostering kittens, and one of them is named Gergi after the character from the Black Cauldron series, um, which I approve of heavily. <laughs> hey Joe, this is like your uh, after credits, like black black and white text of like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where are they now? <laughs> yeah, Bennett, that's that's delightful. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Um, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Is there any other books by her that I should read? Um, because I know Nimona. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. She, I don't think mentions any other comic work. No. Uh, All right. Well, oh, she did Lumberjanes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right, that's a big one. I totally I forgot. That's the one I've actually read. <laughs> I've done read Lumberjanes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Nice. Uh, Bennett, you've got a thing for us? I do have a thing. Um, the last graphic novel that I read uh, is really cool. It's called The Hard Tomorrow. It's by Eleanor Davis. Um, yeah, it's this like near-future kind of semi-dystopic story. Um, it's got like really beautiful art. Um Again, Eleanor Davis is, is drawing it, and um, I don't know, I just, I think she has, like, very elegant line work, but she still manages to put, like, a lot of character in it. It's, like, a cool combination. Um, and then, like, just very simple layouts, black and white, um... But it's just, like, a really effective story. It centers on uh, this woman who is trying to have a child with her boyfriend. Um, She works as a kind of homemade taking care of old people. And her husband uh, basically just smokes weed and supposedly works on building their house in the woods. Um... So there's there's a lot of like tension around what it means to try to be wanting to have children in like an uncertain and dangerous world. Um, and I think she really, I mean, she has a lot to say and expresses mm-hmm. it well. I think in this book, um, and there's things that happen that just you know make you want to go back and read it three times. Uh, it's a good time. Nice. Yeah, I um, I recently read uh, How to Be Happy by her, and I really enjoyed <clears> that. And I think that I might be wrong. I think it includes like a small section of the Hard Tomorrow. Oh, okay, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's it's more like an anthology of her work. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to move on to the main event? Sounds good to me. Uh, so today we are talking about Hellboy Seed of Destruction, uh, which is the uh, first volume of that series. Uh, we've brought uh, Bennett in specifically because he is the person that we know that is also a Hellboy expert. Uh, yeah. 
just so you don't get your hopes up, I'm not like uh, a lore historian on Hellboy. I just really <laughs> like these comic books. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you could have convinced us. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but then yeah, I would, we, but then we I would be wrong that. on a podcast, and that's the last thing I want. Yeah, I oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this book primarily covers, I guess, to some degree, the origin of Hellboy uh, at the beginning. And we also have a conflict uh, between him and in, in, uh, sort of an ex-Nazi scientist slash magician uh, who uh, you guys told me before the episode is actually the historical uh, Rasputin. Uh, you know, yeah. who, who wants to... <laughs> and he wants to restore the power of, of some elder beings uh, and bring about uh, Ragnarok. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a pretty good introduction, I guess. Um, I didn't know what was going on when I started reading this, because um, the only thing it I really throws was, a lot at you. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't mean like I was confused. I just like went into this and I was like, I know what Hellboy is, uh, and then realized that the only thing I knew about Hellboy was like the cover, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I realized I didn't know anything about the story. So I, you know, that's a pretty good description. So, like a long time ago, I guess the forties, right? Um, that guy. Yeah. The end of World War Two. Yeah. yeah, this is his. He's beamed onto Earth. Uh, Rasputin um, summons a something, um, and it is a little demon baby, and and then we sort of flashed, and that's it. That's like one scene, and then it flashes to the future, the, the present, I guess, uh, which I guess is what the nineties. I don't know. This is the nineties. Where are we? Yeah, we're in the 90s. Yeah. The comic came out in 1994. I think it's meant to be yeah. contemporary for the time. All right. And, uh, and then he just sort of throws you into it. And it's like, yep, yeah, that was Hellboy's birth. And now here it is. It's kind of funny. It's kind of like um, like if it was like a movie about a guy who worked in an office, started with his birth, and then just like flashed to like his adulthood. That would be funny. Um, yeah, you go straight from origin story to uh, the death of his father figure. Yeah. Who you really haven't... Uh, seen very much of um but yeah yeah trevor broom dies basically immediately um and you gather from narration that uh hellboy's not happy about this yeah it's not you know it's not considered too heavily in this one yeah uh i don't know if that's something that they go over in the future i i mean it's this is something that like i think the movies expanded on more than the comics I think Trevor Room is like more of a present character uh, in the movies than he is in the like main Hellboy series. There is like uh, there are series that happen in between 1945 and like when we flash to the 90s, and Hellboy's already been this paranormal investigator for 50 years. I haven't read those uh, other series, but I I think Room is is more present in those. Um, Mm-hmm. as a character but um yeah. he's really here to to play into uh mike mignola's daddy issues but you know sure <laughs> this, I mean, I... this comic begins with a father figure dying and ends with hellboy ki- killing yet another father figure so yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i, I liked it a lot just because like i like like i said i was sort of like ah i don't know what's going on but like i knew all the information I needed to know and like very quickly got like, okay, this is where he came from. 
and then like very quickly was thrown into like something happening. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like it wasn't a confusing thing because there was like, oh yeah, that's his father figure. Like I, he's dead now. Like cool. Um, and then it, you know, from there it sort of jumps into the action stuff, which is what I guess it's sort of known for. At least that's what I know it for a little bit. Um, and that's where the art starts to stand out a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mignola's work here is, is fantastic. I'm sure, Bennett, you'd like to go into that. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing that drew me to this series in the first place, and, like, I don't remember when I first read Hellboy, but uh, it, it was many years ago. This I have the physical copy of Seed of Destruction, um, and the adhesive binding is uh, ceasing to be adhesive. Uh, <laughs> it is just falling apart. Uh, so I've, I've read it many times. Um, and it is really that art that brings me back. Uh, you know, Mignola just has this way of building his compositions using shadow. Um, and those, you know, deep blacks are what he's known for and then like the colors uh in in the book are great too and um this is this first volume of hellboy is like hellboy at its most pulpy i think um Mm -hmm. so it's like this this colorist um let's see mark uh chiarello is not the main colorist that Mike Mignola worked with for most of the Hellboy series. He worked with uh, Dave Stewart, um, who does the colors for most of the covers of the books, but also a lot of the interiors. And um, Dave Stewart, like, kind of defined the Hellboy palette where, like, things are muted for the most part, and then Hellboy is just this deep red. Um, Yeah. And in this first volume, there's a lot more other vibrant colors, which I, I think is what is making me feel like it's uh, a more pulpy version of Hellboy. You've got these like kind of rich turquoises and greens and blues, um, and like magenta and. Yeah, I I don't know I don't know about later stuff because I don't know anything, but I like the colors because <laughs> it was like, um, you know, it was flashy and they sort of came out a lot in the action sequences, like in this first one where he's uh, fighting a frog man. Like, um, I, that's sort of the thing I remember most as an image coming out of this is like that everything's dark and it's just like red and green and they're fighting. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I really like it, but maybe it gets even better where he's the only Mm. colorful thing. Touching on the, uh, the pulpiness, uh, I think, you know, to some degree that comes from the dialogue, which, um, you know, here is by, uh, uh, John Byrne, I believe, since he's credited for the script, uh, and that was interesting to me because I, I mainly know him as an artist, um, and I know I know that he's done a lot of script work, but I'm not uh, very familiar with it. Uh, and I know that's also like not the case uh, for the rest of Hellboy that he's he's not really a creative figure for much of it. Yeah, right. And and this narration uh, actually basically disappears after Sea of Destruction. Uh, mm-hmm. Hellboy is. Uh, kind of a man of few words, and if you were to ignore all of the narration in this volume, you would see that he doesn't do a lot of talking um, besides, you know, the odd quip. Um, So 
when I think of Seed of Destruction as part of like the larger Hellboy story, it's like this is largely expository and selling, setting up a lot of stuff, but it's also like the kind of it functioned as the opening narration uh, for the story uh, pretty literally because he's narrating the whole thing. And yeah, it also reads kind of like a, a noir detective story because he's, he's the hard-boiled mm-hmm. demon. Right. When when he started his career as the world's greatest paranormal investigator. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I like how many times they just say that. It's really great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a relic from just John Byrne being a writer from a, a different time in comics when you're sort of expected to recap things at the beginning of the issue through dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like that said, it is, uh, you know, this first volume I think is very quotable in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think that is connected to the pulpiness. Uh, there's, uh, you yeah, like the, uh, one-liners. sorry, I like the one-liners. They're just like really yeah. simple. I don't even remember them. They're just like, he's like what, what? can anyone remember any of them he's just like shut up and then he <laughs> uh yeah i'm looking at it now and uh when he's when he goes to see uh trevor broom uh mm. and he sees frogs falling from the window behind him he says uh sir you've got frogs i was i was about to mention it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so ben and I, I need to ask you 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 uh you're a big fan of frogs yourself uh, was this a was this a chicken or the egg scenario? I think it was less Hellboy specifically and more just like um, the I just like biology and uh, animals a lot because of my parents, mm-hmm. um, and I've just like been a a nature person for a lot of my life. I used to go on a lot of hikes and. Uh, my mom was an editor at Harvard University Press, so it was like working on um, the books of field biologists. So I would like pick up a lot of stuff. Um, but Mignola is also like very concerned with the natural world and and the supernatural world, and sees them as linked, um, and is like. You know, he's known for just drawing on a lot of different folklores, but he's also just like the the way the tone of Hellboy works is you can have a page uh, that just has a panel of uh, an animal, be it like, like the frogs here function as like, um, you know, a portent of death, but other times, you know, birds will just be in the frame in the page um, as observers, and you can just have a panel with a bird in it, um, and not have it be all that narratively relevant. But he's he's showing you that like this is a world, you know, with with richness and is kind of inserting the natural world into the comic, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Nick, do you have any uh, other thoughts? Uh, yeah. I mean, I sort of enjoyed reading it just as like, you know, a pretty simple story and sort of jumping into a very unique art style and world. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I thought some of the designs were really cool. I think Hellboy's design is really cool. Uh, I thought the frogs 
like getting bigger and like the way they attacked i thought that made the fighting really dynamic because they have these like tongues like come out and like paralyze you a little or something um and the way that like i felt the threat and i i feel like i was very aware of how to what extent hellboy could handle himself in a fight and like what the dynamic of the fight was going to be like which i don't experience a lot um but like because we sort of had an opening fight where he's like oh in this arm if i use this arm i won't get paralyzed like that i feel like you know it felt there were stakes but i also like i just knew how like how serious the fight might be at any given point and i thought that was pretty great mm-hmm. yeah i'm i think a lot of the the elements that i'm drawn to here are the more pulpy elements um you know i, I am a fan of uh that sort of thing i i, I like I'm a big fan of Abe Sapien, uh, just as a character design and as an idea. Uh, and you know, the, the whole premise and, uh, and supernatural threat here is, uh, really attractive to me. Um, you know, I, I think it's a really cool book. Um, I think my complaints for this one amount to it feeling a little inconsequential at times. Um, you know, the, the focus is, far more on the adventure and the plot which are really cool than it is the characters um you know like we said earlier we don't spend too much time on on uh on broom uh and his death um which is fine because i th- i think it's going for a very uh different thing uh here yeah you know i i think uh as it is here uh i'd like to see more of the side characters because it's very much like a, a hellboy adventure uh like liz sherman is is you know not re- really a plot device for the entire yeah she's thing. she's mostly a, a prop in this book honestly and <laughs> yeah. like um it's honestly throughout the hellboy series i don't think liz is like too present of a character or a very well-defined one um you know, eventually this series becomes, like, all about Hellboy. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so there's there's the other, there's the BPRD series, which is dedicated to those characters, where I think if you, if you really like um, Abe and Liz and, like, the secondary characters in, in this comic, then, like, you probably like BPRD a lot, um, although you're not getting Mignola's artwork anymore in those. But I think Hellboy is the most compelling character in his own series. Um, yeah. And um, you start to see, like, the, fir- the first inklings of what will become his, like, central struggle in this comic, uh, which is, you know, what his relationship is to his destiny, the thing he was put on Earth to do. Um because there's all these people who think they know uh, what his purpose is. And he's very against that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's like some of the, the seeds of that that we see here are some yeah. of the most interesting stuff uh, in the book to me. So yeah. it's, it's, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, you guys want to move on? Yeah. Okay, uh, today, uh, my friends, uh, as we do every week, uh, we are conducting a uh, Hellboy movie ranking. Uh, 
Cool. Of course. <laughs> Are there three of them? Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm um, consistently surprised by how much mileage you get out of this se- segment <laughs> that you uh, you just can't stop rating Hellboy movies. Yeah, I mean, every week brings a new perspective on life. Uh, mm-hmm. And their mm-hmm. perspective on the Hellboy movies. You know, it's interesting to me because I've actually never seen them. But my opinions somehow are very strong and keep changing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's three. <laughs> yeah, uh, the two by Guillermo del Toro, uh, and then the 2018 or 2019 reboot uh, by I forget. He directed the Descent and then directed this. Let's do it better. So I think my favorite has got to be the new one, the new and better one from last year. And um, because new is always better, my second favorite would be the second one. And then my least favorite would be the first one. <laughs> I'm gonna take the the opposite uh, take on this. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there for this week. Uh, I think you know my rankings right now are gonna be uh, two one then the reboot. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. All right. I guess Joe. I disagree with you openly. Mm-hmm. On, on the air, I disagree with you. Bennett, now, Bennett, as the as the as the person who has actually seen these movies, mm. what's your uh, what's your take? Um, okay, I disagree with both of you, and I'll explain why. Okay. Um, the Hellboy 2018 reboot is the worst one. Um, <laughs> just the agonizing watch. Um, the director has like <laughs> Neil Marshall has like some good like visual sense. Like, there's some creepy bad guys in this movie. Um, but it's otherwise just like completely miserable, and I just can't stand my boy being stepped on uh, by the thirty producers that worked on that production nightmare of a movie. Um, but the two Guillermo del Toro movies, um, you know, they're better. Uh, I would say the first Hellboy movie is my favorite. Um, because they actually make like Hellboy and Liz Sherman's relationship interesting and like have some chemistry, which I think is something neither the comics nor uh, the second movie or the reboot do. Like when you get to Golden Army, um, which is Hellboy 2, um, I feel like that's where Guillermo del Toro's writing just like goes off the deep end <laughs> and I like I rewatched them not too long ago the first and the second uh, Hellboy movies and I just like um I remembered the second one being better it's definitely like more interesting and has like um more interesting visually and has like a bunch of like uh cool practical effective effects monsters um but just like all the characters in it are just like, I don't know, I can't stand the dialogue for the most part, um, which ends up happening with Guillermo del Toro movies for me a lot. But the first Hellboy movie is the adaptation of Seed of Destruction, um, and it's mm-hmm. just generally a, a fun time. Um, I think the tone of the movies is more like Men in Black than uh, a noir movie, and you know, a noir genre film, but like, um, 
I think that was a sign of the times. It, you know, came out in the early two thousands, and Men in Black was popular, and mm. so they wanted to do. They wanted to turn the BPRD <laughs> into <laughs> whatever the name of the organization in Men in Black is. Oh, Men in Black, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, comparison that was helpful to me. I think with that we have we have our definitive ranking of the Hellboy movies. Um, so Nick, I think. Um, even though Bennett will not be joining us next week, that we do have to retire this segment forever? Um, I'm not sure. I think that we should take one final look at it next week and sort of stir in Bennett's opinion. Um, okay. They call yeah. me segment killer. I think, uh, I think next, <laughs> next week we'll have a newer podcast, which is better. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll get it better next time, I think. Okay. Um, Nick, before you close out the show with a wise quote, uh, Bennett, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, do you have anywhere that uh, our, our very small listener base can can check out your work? Um, I'm on Twitter at TomorrowDog, one word with two Gs and dog. Uh, I make the comics. I got something coming out soon that I'll you know, be sure to link to. Um, yeah, that's about it. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I love your work. Uh, thank you for, for elevating this podcast uh, so much this episode. <laughs> I don't know if I did that, but it was fun to be on. Yeah, this was fun. So, Nick, you've got a wise quote for us? I do. Are you ready? This one's <laughs> yeah. from Lenin. There are decades where nothing happens, semicolon, and there are weeks where decades happen. That was that. Yeah. Yeah, it happened so quickly. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and Nick Pertobapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com. Uh, we would very much like to receive listener questions someday. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Joby underscore draws. Uh, you can read my webcomic, Aeronaut, at jobydraws.com. As always, Nick has nothing to promote. Uh, it might change in the near future. Who knows? Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It would really help with the show. Bye. Nick, have you heard of Jeff Vandermeer? What? No. (laughs) (laughs) We do that again. Oh, shit. (laughs) It's okay. I can edit it out. (laughs) All right. Who's that? Um, (laughs) Who is that? Wow, do I just want to move on from this and not talk about Jeff Vandermeer? Okay. I can can just do my thing. Yeah. (laughs) But I actually want to know, though. You don't have to record it. Just...